Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. I'm Josh Pavichak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend, and to share with you the news headlines for the week ending November 26th, 2021. Of course, this was Thanksgiving week. It was a shorter week for most people, so... We're going to have a bit of a shorter roundup, I think, but there's still plenty going on in the Saucon Valley, and of course, everyone's attention is now turning to the holidays, the kickoffs for the holidays in Hellertown and Coopersburg are this weekend, and we, of course, will have photos of them on Saucon Source very shortly if we don't already. In other news, we shared a really heartwarming story, I think, about a young boy, Liam Griffith from Saucon Valley, who is playing the role of Tiny Tim in a production of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol at Civic Theater in Allentown. Now, Civic Theater is one of the premier local theater organizations in the Lehigh Valley. You may also know of it as the 19th Street Theater. It goes by both names. I believe Civic Theater is more the theatrical side of the organization, whereas 19th Street is the film side because they obviously show many distinguished foreign and art house movies there. It's a beautiful 1920s movie palace, really, and it's worth it to go there just for the architecture. Liam, as I said, lives in Saucon Valley with his parents and his three brothers, and I had a chance to interview him this past week about what he likes about acting and his thoughts about playing Tiny Tim. It was interesting that his mom noted that somebody who is moving up in the world of Hollywood, Oakes Fegley, a 17-year-old actor from Allentown, actually played the role of Tiny Tim probably eight or nine years ago when he was Liam's age. So he's following in some remarkable footsteps by playing this role and and obviously it is an honor to have gotten it he had to audition for it he um, has rehearsals almost every night until 9 p.m so you know i don't know that the average nine-year-old would be able to take something like this on he's obviously mature for his age of course to be able to Remember all those lines requires a degree of maturity that many fourth graders would not likely have. The production is opening on December 3rd. There will be 12 performances over the first three weekends in December, mainly evening performances, but they have matinees as well. Uh, We have the link to the Civic Theater website in the article. And I also wanted to point out the COVID protocols that are in place because this was the first time I had heard of a entertainment venue in the Lehigh Valley requiring everyone to show either a vaccination card or a negative COVID-19 test that they had received the results of within the previous 72 hours. And they are requiring that for all attendees at the performances of A Christmas Carol. 
So that's something to definitely know before you go. The cast itself is being very careful and they are wearing masks during the rehearsals except if they are fully vaccinated. They can take them off when they're performing on stage. The same goes for the actual performances. Now Liam is is an interesting case because he's under the age of 11 so he couldn't get a COVID-19 vaccine until very recently. It was only approved for 5 to 11 year olds in early November. So he actually got it the first day it was available. He has to get a second shot to be fully vaccinated and he is about to get that. So they're keeping their fingers crossed that he'll be able to not wear a mask during the actual performances. Obviously, everybody wants to be able to see an actor's expressions. That's part of acting. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for him for that. Of course, we want everybody to be safe too, but that's why they're following these protocols. And I really respect Civic Theater of Allentown for recognizing the seriousness of the situation and doing what they can to protect everybody, including the cast, the crew, and the people who will be watching this show. A Christmas Carol is one of my favorite holiday stories, and I'm sure it's going to be a great performance. So check it out. You'll also be supporting a very worthwhile artistic organization in the Lehigh Valley. And this is the 30th anniversary of A Christmas Carol at Civic Theater. They were not able to stage it in 2020 due to the pandemic. So this year will be extra special. In other news, we covered the induction ceremony for the newest member of the Saucon Valley Alumni Association's Wall of Fame. Now, what is the Wall of Fame? The Wall of Fame is essentially a Hall of Fame that was created by the Alumni Association to honor outstanding achievements by Saucon Valley and earlier alumni from the Hellertown Lower Saucon area back in 2015. Since then, they've recognized about 12 to 15 alumni. They did not recognize anyone in 2020 because of the pandemic. The ceremony took a year off. This year's ceremony, I think, was one of the biggest to date, and the sole recognition this year went to Jane Werner, a member of the class of 1977, who is the executive director of the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh, which is a very large museum and highly acclaimed. She has been there for, I think, something like 30 years. Before that, she worked at the Franklin Institute. She has a very impressive resume and and has really done Saucon Valley proud from everything that I was able to learn about her. She was, of course, at the ceremony with her immediate family, and was very honored, I think, and touched by the recognition. She is the youngest person to be inducted into the Wall of Fame at this point, and the first graduate from the 1970s and the first graduate from Saucon Valley High School, which has only existed for the last 50 years. Before 1971, when the Saucon Valley School District was created with the opening of Saucon Valley High School. The district was known as the Hellertown Lower Saucon School District. And before that, Hellertown Borough and Lower Saucon Township had separate school districts. So I thought that was significant. Of course, there were many classmates there. Even a former teacher was there to recall his experiences with Jane as a student. 
and she spoke briefly. We also watched a TED talk that she gave a couple of years ago, which sort of explained her philosophy as a museum administrator and educator of children. And I thought that was really well done. I included an embed of that in the article about her induction. So congratulations to Jane Werner. If you're out in the Pittsburgh area, check out the Children's Museum. It's grown by leaps and bounds under her leadership. I believe the annual attendance figure went from something like 80,000 a year to 310,000 a year since she's been the executive director. And it just looks like a phenomenal space for people of all ages, but especially kids where they can ask questions, uh, let their imaginations run wild and learn a whole lot. Returning to the holidays and related news, Johnny Hart reported this week on the Shop with a Cop program returning to Quakertown Borough and surrounding communities. This is a pretty well-known program. Some police departments in the Lehigh Valley, I believe, participate in it. Essentially, the program identifies children from underprivileged backgrounds, maybe a single-parent household. Certainly, there are economic guidelines that must be met and they partner each child with a police officer who helps them shop for themselves and maybe some other family members in a local store typically like a Walmart or you know a large big box store last year each child received a $150 gift card to shop with and i know they want to do the same thing this year and they want to help 250 kids. These kids aren't just from Quakertown, they're from throughout Upper Bucks County. There are 11 participating departments, including some in the Lehigh Valley, the Upper Saucon Township Police participate in this Shop with a Cop program, and they are seeking donors. It's a great cause, so I hope you will consider supporting it. There are various levels of support that you can opt in for, and There's more information, of course, in Johnny's story, so check that out. The actual date for Shop with a Cop is December 9th, and I know they're going to have some great photos from that to share on the police department's social media pages, so we'll be keeping an eye out for those so we can share them with you um, once that happens. But here's hoping that they can help as many children as possible this year. Another great cause is Luminaria Night, and that's been going on for decades here in the Lehigh Valley. It is a benefit for New Bethany Ministries in Bethlehem, which helps the homeless, the food insecure, not just from Bethlehem, but from communities all throughout the area. New Bethany is a very large charitable organization at this point. They take up almost an entire city block. They have grown over the years, and I'm hoping to be able to interview somebody from there in the near future so we can learn a little bit more about their year-round endeavors. But Luminaria Night is special. This fundraiser truly beautifies our community at a time of year when people love to display lights. And essentially what is done is for $10, a $10 donation to New Bethany, you get a kit which includes 10 white paper bags, some sand, and tea candles. And you open up the bags, pour 
an equal amount of sand into each bag and then put the candle in the bottom, like in the center of the sand, and light it. And then you line these up along the curb or along your sidewalk in front of your home. Hopefully your neighbors are doing it and the whole neighborhood is, is involved because then you have like block after block of just twinkling luminaries. And I've seen this in uh, parts of Bethlehem, like uh, I believe Edgeboro neighborhood is one that does this year after year. It's the kind of neighborhood tradition that really brings people together and people look forward to it every year. It has been going on in, in certain Saucon Valley neighborhoods for a number of years, I believe Woodfields and maybe Saucon Terrace in Lower Saucon. But this year, a local realtor and Army veteran, Melissa Batoni, stepped up to become a block captain for New Bethany. And I wrote a story about everything she's doing to open the program up to more people in Hellertown and Lower Saucon just by raising awareness of New Bethany and how it supports them because the money that is raised for New Bethany truly does stay here in our community. Luminary Night is on Saturday, December 11th, and I believe it's from 5 to 7 p.m., so it's early in the evening. Hopefully the weather cooperates. You know, once in a while you get a year where there's heavy rain or very strong winds or something, and that does pose some challenges, but certainly it's a great concept, and I know it's raised tens of thousands, if not more, for New Bethany Ministries over, like I said, probably the last 25 or so years. So keep an eye out for those luminaries on the night of December 11th, and maybe your neighborhood will be participating. I know someone in Mountain View in Hellertown who is, so uh, that'll be very pretty to look at. And uh, like I said, we will we will be trying to interview um, New Bethany on No Rain Date in the near future. In the spirit of giving, I wanted to take a quick moment to highlight the fact that Giving Tuesday is this coming Tuesday, November 30th, and certainly we encourage you to support all of your local charities, nonprofits, and other organizations that really depend on a little boost from Giving Tuesday, which has become a big thing in recent years in the vein of Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday. Unfortunately, it follows those three. So sometimes I wonder, you know, does anybody have any money left to give after Friday, Saturday, and Monday? Because there's a lot of spending that goes on. And, and I think people certainly take advantage of the deals to buy things that they maybe need for their household. You know, it's not just Christmas shopping anymore, if it ever was. But People are looking for deals on, you know, necessities or big ticket items that they wanted for a long time, that type of thing. But I I wrote a story uh, highlighting Giving Tuesday as an opportunity to become a Sock and Source member. Obviously, Sock and Source is not a nonprofit. We are an LLC. However, we do depend on community support to help fund our coverage of news in this area. And more importantly, to keep that coverage free. We don't have any paywalls on Sock and Source. All of our content is accessible to everyone, thanks to advertisers and thanks to our members who are voluntarily committing to support our news by donating $70 a year, typically. There are links in the story to the membership page where you can easily sign up to become a 
monthly, quarterly, or yearly member. As I said, it's very affordable. $70 a year works out to be something like $6 a month or less. And so I don't think most people would miss that. That's certainly less than the price of a subscription to the major local news websites that have paywalls. I can tell you that. And I think we maybe provide a little less coverage overall than they do just because we are confined by our resources. But we're confined by our resources because we don't have as many members as as we would like. The more members we have, the more news we can cover, the more geography we can cover. We recently announced that we would be covering more South Bethlehem news in relation to our satellite office at VentureX in South Bethlehem. And member support will go a long way to help with that too. So even if it's not sock and source, definitely keep in mind community journalism on Giving Tuesday because more and more independent outlets like Sock and Source truly need more of our communities to step up and say, hey, you know, I really value this news. This news helps me live a better life. It helps me keep my family safe because we cover things like breaking news. You know, I'm going to support the news that supports my community. And I'm always available to answer any questions about that. Of course, you can reach me at josh at sockandsource.com. But I appreciate each and every one of you who is a member or is considering becoming a member. And of course, please do support our nonprofits, our small businesses, which Sock and Source is also a small business. And I say that just because... Some people don't know. I'm trying to to reinforce that idea as much as possible. But please do that not only during the holiday season, but all year round. They really depend on it. And small businesses are typically the businesses that do things like sponsor local Little League teams and, you know, have food drives, you know, to benefit the local food bank and do many other things that keep fundraising here in our community And that's a great reason to support them. Of course, there are wonderful national organizations too, but keep in mind the local ones. Don't forget about local. And that's our news roundup for this week, November 26, 2021. I hope everybody has a wonderful start to the holiday season and that you had a very relaxing and peaceful Thanksgiving. This week on No Rain Date, I am thrilled to be having a conversation with somebody whose voice may sound familiar to you if you have watched television anytime in the last couple decades, probably. Brian S. Atwood is a voiceover artist, actor, and also an instructor. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, you are certainly the first voice actor I've ever interviewed, and <laughs> I'm I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to learn more about how one develops a career mm. in that arena. For one thing, let's go back to the beginning. You know, to to your earliest days. Is is did you have a desire to act or be in the dramatic arts somehow? I, yeah, I, I think that that was certainly something that struck me. But I, I think if we were to go back to the very beginning, I would say that the first thing that struck me was I remember being about five years old or so, 
and I was in kindergarten, and the teacher had assigned us to sing a song for all of our moms. They were all going to come in during lunchtime or something. And I think it was You Light Up My Life, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) And I just remember kind of practicing the song at home. And I didn't have anything to to play, you know, a keyboard or anything like that or piano. So I found that if I sang to the window, that I could hear the reflection back at me. Mm. And I, I just remember, and I don't mean to sound arrogant saying this, I just remember thinking to myself, that's pretty. I like that sound. And I'm a little little boy, you know. Right. But I think from that point forward, I started to enjoy the sound of things, whether it was my own voice or just audio in general. And over time, you know, as you as I grew up and I started to watch cartoons and things like that, the person I eventually found out was Mel Blanc doing all of those cartoon voices. That really struck me. And I, I just was completely taken by that. I, I would notice that certain characters sounded a little bit like another one. Oh, that's the same person doing that. How'd they, mm. how'd they do that? You know. So I started, you know, in my little boy voice, doing impressions of those characters. And then I started doing, you know, people I saw on TV, and you know, and my voice hadn't even changed yet. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, like me doing Johnny. Uh, you know, good good evening. You know, you know, these little <laughs> tiny boys. It just it didn't work. But it it always fascinated me, and audio was always something that I was deeply interested in. So between singing and, yes, eventually doing some acting and just talking and music, it all all interested me as long as it was sound. Mm -hmm. So were there certain people that were encouraging you in this direction, like your parents? No, no, no. They weren't encouraging me at all in that respect. No, they, they, it was a classic, you know, grow up and be a doctor or a lawyer type thing, um, (laughs) which my brother took them up on and and he's a lawyer down in Florida these days. But, uh, no, I, I actually went in the direction of doing public relations actually for a living and did that. I think I did it relatively successfully for a number of years and it wasn't until, I ended up working in audio that that started to stir up in me again. You know, I, I, it was always one of these things that I wanted to do, work with my voice, sing, act, something like that. But, you know, I, I was always encouraged to find something that I could make a living doing. So I never really saw, you know, acting or singing or anything like that as an option. And it really wasn't when you think about it for a long, long time, you know, to have a full-time job as an actor or a singer or something like that was kind of a pipe dream for a lot of people. And I don't think it was until the internet really started to take hold that I found myself having those kinds of options because the world really opened up after all of that started to kick in. So you could Google how to become a yeah, voice actor. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, it was something that I had dabbled with, you know, and even... I, I don't know if you want to go into this, but earlier in my in my professional career, I worked in classical music. I had worked at the New York Philharmonic and at the Philadelphia Orchestra, both in a public relations capacity, and thoroughly enjoyed my work there and what I was doing with them. But even when I was there, I was still interested in doing what I'm doing now, taking lessons with you know coaches and things of that nature, and just trying to get my foot, but I didn't quite know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was the beauty of the whole thing in the long run was figuring out how to do it. And it was, a, you know, as the Beatles said, a long and winding road to figure that out. But that's part of the reason why I teach today, because I know there's a lot of people who want to do it as I did and don't know as I did, not they don't know what to do. 
and how to do it. You know, I got to a point where I had reached a level of success being a voice actor. And I looked back at what I had to do to accomplish that. And I said, why did that have to be so difficult? You know, I I figured that, you know, if, if I had a tough enough time and I had some contacts, I can only imagine what the average person would be dealing with trying to trying to figure it out. So that's why I developed the course that I teach, both at Northampton Community College and mostly the one that I do privately with students, teaching them how to become a voice actor and mm-hmm. how to market themselves and whatnot. I guess one of the things that I'm I'm curious to to hear your perspective on is, you know, obviously some people just have voices that are better suited to use in in commercials and, and narration than others. Like I don't think I have a good voice at all. I mean, your voice is very rich. I disagree, but very deep and and resinous. And I mean, if I just met you on the street, I would think, wow, you know, he has a radio type voice. Yeah, he's got a face for radio, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. no the, well, the funny thing is that uh, when I first started, I I really didn't think that. I didn't uh, think that at all. In fact, as I've mentioned to you before, I, I really honestly thought when I got started in this business that I was going to make my living doing it, doing character voices or impressions of people. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you know, I got that going for me. That's going to be my thing, you know. And it turned out actually to be quite the opposite. They were hiring me mostly because they wanted to hear my natural speaking voice, which I will openly admit as I've gotten older, and this happens to all of us guys, it happens to women too. But, it, you know, as you get older, your voice drops, you know, more and more and more every year until finally, you know, you're a hundred years old and it's down here. (laughs) Um, No, but I actually, I I had to settle into my, my current speaking voice for a long time. When I worked at Sirius Satellite Radio doing classical music there, my voice was kind of in that middle ground space where I had to speak in a higher pitch because I was going to, I had a tendency to crack quite a bit. It was, my speaking voice was right on the edge there because I was just at that age and my voice was such that it was just not, it wasn't working for me. So I'd have to, I'd have to make my announcements way up here. You know, (laughs) we're going to hear music by, and it actually brought some energy to what I was doing on top of the, the sort of non-conventional approach that I was taking to doing the classical music there anyway. Yeah. I I mean, thank you. That's a nice compliment that you say that I've, I've got a nice voice for this, but uh, I think it's just kind of developed over time for me. So mm-hmm. it wasn't always like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't picture your, your, you having a voice that, that would be cracking, but <laughs> trust me, <laughs> I used to have that problem too. <laughs> I probably still do. <laughs> well, I think for me, it was, it was more so just a matter of accepting my voice for what it was. And that's one of the things that I work with my students on, which is what advertisers, what clients are looking for these days is somebody that's just sounds like the guy next door. And as long as you sound like your natural self, you've got potential for it. So when people will come to me and they say, do I have a chance of doing this for a living? I I don't know if I can make it or not. I'll say, well, can, first of all, can you speak English? And that's not even a requirement because there's plenty of other languages you can work in. But more importantly, you know, can you speak normally and, you know, make conversation? If you can, then, yeah, there's potential there because that's what they're looking for, the, the sound of the average person. The, the key, though, is to take that quality and draw it out when you're in front of a mic. That's the key because a lot of people will get in front of that microphone and they'll get completely intimidated by it. 
and it turns them into someone else completely. Mm. And it does take time to not only feel comfortable and confident in front of the mic, but also, especially when you're working with scripted copy, which, you know, if you're working with commercial work, that's all you're doing all day, to be able to interpret someone else's words in such a way that it makes it sound like it's you talking. And if you can build up that degree of, well, for lack of a better word, trust with the listener that it's actually you speaking rather than you just reading words off of a page, it makes all the difference. And the listener then becomes engaged with you and what you're saying, and everybody wins out in the end. And it's not just, that's all, that's all very true, but it's, and it's not just the sound of your voice, it's uh, how you accent the words, sure. the cadence, because I think we've all heard, you know, narration or commercials where, you know, somebody, the narrator puts the accent on the wrong, you know, syllable and you hear it over and over again. The and that's syllable. all you can think yeah. about. Yeah. You, you're not focusing on the product then. That's, that's a epic fail yeah. in my book. One of my little pet peeves is, uh, and we've all seen these kinds of things before, is, uh, you know, imagine that you're starting a new job, for example, and you're watching a training video at the company that you're working for. And, you know, they're showing you all the steps to how to do whatever it is that you're, you've been hired to do. And you have to watch this video and the person that's narrating it clearly has no clue what that company <laughs> does at all. Mm -hmm. And they have not taken the time to figure that out, to research it, to understand the terms they're going to be using that are you know, detrimental to the business that you're going to be working in. And you can just tell the person's completely disengaged. They're just reading the words and they've been hired probably primarily because of the quality of their voice rather than, you know, sounding like they know what they're talking about. And again, that's one of the things that I work with really strongly with my students. I tell them that arguably the most important part of recording a script or, you know, uh, recording audio is being believed by your audience and, and knowing that uh, the words that you're saying sound like they're coming out of your, your own head in the moment rather than off the written page, he said, as he read it from the script in front of him. <laughs> well, and that, that makes me think of something else, which is that, you know, nowadays you're not even guaranteed to have a human on the other end yeah. of that narration right? because of AI. Mm -hmm. And that's a pet peeve of mine. Yep. You know, if I, if I click on a YouTube video and I can instantly tell that, that this is a, simulated voice, mm -hmm. no matter how good of a simulation it is, I'm thinking, well, wow, that company is too cheap to like employ an actual voice actor. I mean, have you run into that? Oh, sure. Sure. And it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, as you can imagine, you know, they're, they're slowly, it's almost like it's a threat to put folks like me out of business, but I really don't think that we'll ever quite get to the point where AI takes over the industry. I think that they will certainly augment it to a, a nice degree. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there are so many opportunities for voice work these days. I mean, especially when you think about just the internet alone, what it offers. And even if you don't talk about just audio and you speak about video, I mean, there's billions of video opportunities for narration work out there for everybody to, to be able to tap into. So, you know, AI is going to have its place. 
But yeah, they're getting more and more sophisticated. I used to be able to pick them out rather easily myself. But at the same time, I sometimes will get the phone calls during the day. You know, it's not about necessarily the car warranties and whatnot, but, you know, they'll anticipate your responses sometimes to such a degree that you start to question it. In fact, we, <laughs> my wife and I got a call one day where we absolutely were convinced that we were speaking to a robo voice. But the fact was that the fellow on the other end had such a great voice that he literally sounded like he was an AI voice in that respect. And he kept responding precisely to what we were saying. We were just convinced, boy, this is a really advanced AI voice. But uh, I usually try to catch them by asking questions like, who's the president of the United States? Or what's today's date? And they can never really process that. So right. you know, they'll say, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. You know, something like that. But yeah, it's got its place. But I do think that real voices will will always have their their place as well. I'm just I'm just imagining hearing that. Wow, you have a great AI voice. Like, mm -hmm. Is that right. a compliment? Or, yeah. Well, yeah. probably in today's tech, it it probably is. Yeah. Because people are getting more and more used to hearing it. Right. Right. And of course, the way we speak is a reflection back of what we're hearing. Mm -hmm. So babies and little kids today that are growing up hearing AI voices are going to speak differently. Yeah, because of that. it's 2001 A Space Odyssey coming to life here, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you mentioned before we started recording that, um, that you're originally from Boston. Yeah. Which has one of the most iconic Distinctive accents, accents yes. in the world. Oh, probably. yeah. It's wicked awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's it's funny. I I th I like to think that being that I'm in the business I'm in, that it was fortuitous that my parents moved away from Boston when they did. I was about seven years old, so the accent, from what I recall, we'll have to ask mom and dad if they can confirm this. But I seem to recall the accent was gone in about two weeks. Mm. My older brother, it took him a little longer. But because of wanting to fit in? Well, no, or? I think it's just because, uh, again, being so attuned to sound, even as a little kid, mm -hmm. I just sort of picked up the new accent from Pennsylvania and ran with it. And I don't think I ever really looked back. It is interesting, though, whenever I start to pay the tolls on the Massachusetts Turnpike, all of a sudden it kicks back in. Yeah. Can I have a receipt, please? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. and And just the whole concept of accents today i mean they, they're a tremendous source of pride mm -hmm. for many people but i in your line of work i would imagine it's more of a liability to have one it can be yeah it can be and you know there there is some degree of that universal american voice sound that you'll often hear with news anchors and whatnot but frankly that's even going away these days too, because you know when you watch folks on the news and if they have a distinctive accent, say from the South or something like that, they're more apt to say that that's where they're from because it. I think and sometimes it, it will make them connect better with that part of the country and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, that universal sound that we always look toward for, you know, the Dan Rathers of the world and uh, Peter Jennings and all those guys, you know, they, they had that, that clear you know, just American accent, you know, that's, that's not, uh, who was the fellow that was on, uh, 
on NBC. Tom Brokaw? Yeah. yeah. Good evening, I'm Tom Brokaw. This is Emily Selena. Yeah. He just never could quite complete a word in some way or another. sort of run together. Yeah, it all kind of slurred together and we just sort of talk like this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but aside, aside from that, it is interesting because I do, I do find myself dealing with it because when I teach students from around the Lehigh Valley area, I do find that, you know, you're going to run into folks who have, in some cases, a very distinctive accent. And that can be both good and bad because, for instance, if you're doing work locally or if, you know, maybe you're from out of town and you sound exotic to the listener locally, there's also going to be some value in hearing a local accent, a local sound for a local ad. But when you start putting in for an ad in, you know, Wisconsin, and you've got a Lehigh Valley accent, that might be a little bit of a hindrance. So you know, I think more importantly, just being aware of those kinds of things and you know, knowing what you're putting in for, for auditions and whatnot, it's helpful to be malleable in that way. I remember years ago, I saw the film Zelig. It's a um, Woody Allen picture. Mm-hmm. And you know, the whole story about him was that you know, he was like the human chameleon who lived in, I think it was the 1920s, it was said, and it was an interesting picture, but the whole thing was no matter who he was around, he would end up looking and sounding like those people. You know, I don't, I don't want to suggest that that's what I try to encourage people to do, but just being aware of it, I think is, is important. It's critical. Hmm. Are certain accents harder to reproduce than others? Because one of the reasons I'm thinking of this is Kate Winslet, a show called Mayor of Easttown. Mm-hmm. She's won rave reviews, and partly because of her accent, I read somewhere that the Philadelphia accent is one of the harder ones to do. Yeah, well, and I don't think it's one that gets as much attention. You know, people tend to think of Boston, New York, Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the clear classic accents in the United States. Philadelphia, I think, tends to be, unless you're aware of what you're shooting for, most people don't really realize that there's a Philly accent, if they're from outside the area, especially. So yeah, I mean, kudos to her for doing her homework. She had to eat a lot of Wawa too. Yeah, uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That. Accents, it's a, it's, it's a funny business because, you know, then you start getting into international accents too. And if you were to say, oh, do an English accent, well, which of the 40 different English accents do you want to hear? You know, that's the, that's the thing about accents. So And the other thing, too, is that, you know, with the industry being the way that it is now and being so accessible in so many ways, you know, for example, even as recently as 10 or 15 years ago, if we wanted to do something like what we're doing right now, having this conversation and recording it on fancy microphones like this, we'd have to go to a full service professional studio to do it. And Mm -hmm. we'd have to book time and have an engineer and, you know, a producer and all that work and not to dismiss what Johnny's doing, but still, right. uh, you know, this, this is, uh, this little tiny board is doing the work of an entire room's worth of equipment years ago. So mm-hmm. the idea that we can now do it literally on the fly or on the run with tiny little, you know, things that could go to the moon and back and have more power in them than they did back in 1969. It's really quite amazing what people were able to uh, to do now. And so that international quality, I think there's more of a demand for legitimate accents than there are for people who can do accents. So whereas years ago, I might've been able to get away with doing XYZ accent, these days they're gonna be more apt to ask for someone from that area 
and make it more genuine, which there's nothing wrong with that. Now that we have the ability to tap into that, you might not have years ago, but now you do. You know, anybody mm -hmm. around the world can buy themselves a USB mic, hook it into their laptop computer, and boom, they've got a recording studio when you think about it. Mm -hmm. So to get that genuine accent is that much easier now. And you don't have to rely necessarily on, you know, an actor who has, you know, the, the, the actor who's got a million voices in his head like I do. <laughs> Be quiet. No. Okay. Stop. <laughs> I, I just want to take a minute to, to read some of the accents that you have mm -hmm. on your list. And if you feel like breaking into one of them, feel free. <laughs> but Australian. Good eye, mate. Right. California Valley. Whoa, man. No way. <laughs> English upper class. Right. And this afternoon, we're going to study this particular accent. Right. English middle class. Well, I don't know. I mean, we could be going there someday, but not necessarily this afternoon. English cockney. Good morning, mate. How are you? Having a good old time talking to you and Johnny. <laughs> French. Uh, that's going to be more along the lines of uh, what are you talking about? Do you think that you are ruling the world or you are just a stupid idiot American? Oh. <laughs> German. Well, we're not going to go down the whole line here, are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just read the rest. Indian, Japanese, Mexican, New England, Southern, and even Yiddish. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Because, like I said, that's, that's an old list. And to some degree, I find that I, I'm not tapping into that stuff anymore because mm -hmm. they can find people who legitimately have those accents. And it turns it then away from possibly being misinterpreted as, you know, however you want to say offensive or whatnot. Culturally. Yeah, exactly. And you can tap then into somebody who actually speaks either with that accent or in that language. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. Yeah, I agree that certainly a generation ago, there wasn't that level of, of awareness yeah. um, along those lines. Well, getting back to your career, was there a point in time where you sort of had like a big break, so to speak, like as far as voice acting? Well, like I said, I worked in classical music for a number of years, and I suppose you can say it was when I started at Sirius Satellite Radio. I had been aware of the company since the early 90s, back when they were called CD Radio. Hmm. And I had read about them in the Wall Street Journal and thought it was fascinating that they were starting this company that, as far as I was concerned, I had come up with. I invented what they were doing in my mind <laughs> because I remember talking to some friends in school and saying to them, you know, they've got this newfangled thing called satellite TV why can't they have satellite radio? You'd think it'd be half the work, mm -hmm. right? And they, actually one of the fellows I talked to about it said that he knew someone that worked in that industry and he'd, he'd asked them because that sounded like a legitimate question to him. And he said, actually, no, they can't because when you think about it, satellite TV, the TV's generally not moving around the house and they can plug it into something and it can be on a fixed position looking up at the sky and it's never gonna move from the roof right? Radio would be very different because most people listen to the radio driving around in their car, for example. So unless you're going to stay in your car in one position your whole life, it's not going to be a feasible thing. Well, obviously the technology advanced and they came up with geosynchronous orbits and things of that nature. And satellite TV came to be, or satellite radio rather came to be. So when I found out about this company, I invested some money in it because I thought this is, you know, this has been in my head for a long time now we're going to put the money where the mouth is, right? 
I never would have dreamed at that time that I would have ended up working there. But I did end up working at the Philadelphia Orchestra. And one of the things that I'll say we, because I still, I think of myself as part of the orchestra's family in a way. We always thought that it was great that the Philadelphia Orchestra had this wonderful list of firsts. They were first on the radio. They were first on record. They were first, I think, on television. So they were very proud of all that and wanted to continue to add to that. So working there in public relations, I said, hmm, how can we be first on satellite radio? So I actually took some personal time off a day or two from work and went to New York to speak to the guys at Sirius, totally with no you know, permission from Philadelphia to do so, but I just wanted to look into it. They were fascinated by my take on it, and I think they were also taken by my deep interest in what they were doing. And after a while and several conversations and two visits there, I started to think to myself, hmm, the heck with the orchestra, <laughs> you know, God bless them. But what about me? You know? yeah. And it turned out that at that time they were looking for somebody to head up their classical division and they were deliberately looking for somebody who wasn't going to bring the old habits of classical FM and AM radio to the table. So they saw me, they knew I looked outside the box, they knew I quote unquote got it. And that's how I ended up there and headed up all their classical stations and was in charge of a staff of, well, at one point it was about 10 people that I was overseeing and ended up founding Metropolitan Opera Radio from scratch and starting all the other stations just pretty much on my own. And I had a, a show on about six hours a day, five days a week for years and years, about a decade almost. And I loved it. But the funny thing was that the thing that I enjoyed the most was when the production people because we had all sorts of different styles of music and talk stations and everything you can imagine there, as you know, and a huge production staff. And one of the things I loved the most was going and working with the production staff on all sorts of jingles and promo spots and being able to use all those funny voices that you've got that list there of singing songs and all that sort of thing for them. And I found that was actually more rewarding in some ways than talking about Tchaikovsky. So mm. uh, it, there came a point where, you know, I had moved to the Easton area. I said, I think I'd like to try this whole voiceover thing that I've been dabbling in for years and really give it a go. And now seems to be the time to do it. So my wife and I talked endless conversations about it. We just decided to take the risk. If you're going to do it, try it now. You know, my, my wife has been incredibly supportive of me in doing this because she said, I don't want you to years down the road regret not trying it, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I keep saying that, you know, I'm very grateful to the man upstairs and to all sorts of other factors for allowing me to be able to live this wonderful career and life that I have for the last, I guess we're pushing almost 15 years now. I've been doing this full time mm. and I'm very grateful that I can. And I think also too, in the more recent years, I've worked a lot with students and teaching them. And I get such that's a huge reward for me too. I really do enjoy working with students and seeing other people achieve their dream of doing this kind of work too. Because, you know, I, I know what that feels like to finally tap into it and feel like, oh, I, I finally found my calling. To see that happen with other people, it's a wonderful moment when you see that that light bulb click in their head. Yeah. And, and it must be I'm thinking incredibly beneficial that you 
know some of the inner workings of the industry. Yeah. From working at well, Sears. Well, and, I, and I've, I've kind of created the course that I teach in such a way that I've, I, I draw from my experience, obviously, and the things I know about the industry, and also, you know, things that I too have read or have seen or heard and experienced with other people who do this kind of work too. It's really very rewarding to be able to bring that all together and to be able to make a comprehensive course, if you will, where it's, I, I do it in a, a series of baby steps. You know, with each step, I build upon the previous step. And until finally at the end of the process, hopefully the student is feeling really confident, really comfortable in front of the mic. And uh, so that way, when we get to the point where you, for instance, make a demo recording of what you sound like for potential clients, that you really are at your best as opposed to what, unfortunately, I've found a lot of people who do that kind of work in a coaching kind of way, it tends to sometimes be, and I don't want to disparage how other people are running their business, but sometimes I find that it, there's a short-sightedness on their part and the skill sets that somebody needs to interpret a piece of copy aren't necessarily instilled in them in the right way. Let's put it that way. It's more so often done in a way that's, you know, okay, read this piece of copy. Okay. And then the person reads it and they say, eh, not quite. Read it like this. And then they'll read it to them. And then they just mimic what they did. And that's, to me, that you're not really learning much with that. So by having those fundamental skills, you know, in place, you can allow the student to be able to take that to any piece of copy that they read and figure out how they want to approach it and maybe even read it right the very first time they read it. Just to follow up, are there age limits to to the classes? Like what what's the youngest person you've instructed or the oldest? Well, the youngest person I've worked with was actually my son. At the time, he was four. Wow. Yeah, and he couldn't read yet. So I made some cute little demo recordings with him, and he just had this adorable voice and a desire to do it at the time. He doesn't now, unfortunately, <laughs> but he was very willing back then. He couldn't read, so I wrote some demo copy for him to read, and I went in the booth with him, and I just said it to him, and he just said the words back on the mic, and then I just had to edit it in such a way that it cut me out, and it actually worked out rather nicely. So yeah, four years old was the youngest, and the oldest, I'm thinking of one student. He was, I think, 83 when he worked with me. Now, he had a history of broadcasting, but still, the voice acting end of it is a totally different animal from just being a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a pretty big range, four to 83. You know? Yeah. 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 Our voices do drop a little bit over yeah. the yeah. <laughs> over Well, and years. I think the nice thing is that, you know, really, the industry is such today that you don't necessarily, you know, in the old days... Like, let's say in the 40s and the 50s and well into the 60s, you had to have that, you know, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, that that announcer voice, you know, that kind of voice. That was the only voice that was being used on commercials, you know, the dear old dad kind of voice. Do you have a problem with such and such? Well, <laughs> use this. Ding. You know, we'll solve all your problems, that kind of thing. Unless you're going retro or trying to sound, you know, neat in that kind of old style way, nobody does that anymore. So what they're looking for is that kind of normal, everyday, average normal person sounding voice. So in that respect, really anybody can do this as long as they have the skill sets that are needed in order to be able to do what they need to do to read the script and, and make it convincing enough.
Mm -hmm. Are there certain voices from broadcasting or film that are your favorites, legends or? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm a bit of an old soul in a lot of ways. I have a, a lot of audio equipment at home, just to give you an example. My, one of my earliest pieces is a 1916 Edison diamond disc player, which I use actually strangely regularly. I play these records that are 15 feet thick that are very iconically Thomas Edison and everything since then too. I've got real to real machines. I've got old radios from the thirties that I enjoy playing with, with tubes in them and all that. I'm an audio guy. So I do tend to pick up on the sounds of great voices. And, you know, I mean, there's the Don Pardos of the world, obviously, but, you know, even just voices that just had a personality, like even when he's not singing, Dean Martin just had a great mm -hmm. personality. I think of uh, Johnny Carson, you know, he had such a great voice and he was just so uh, engaging with his audience. Now, I was watching an interview on YouTube just the other day where he was interviewing Bobby Fischer, the chess mm -hmm. player. And he literally talked to that man for 20 minutes and it was an engaging conversation. I said to myself, there's no way that conversation would happen today without some silly gimmick or something like that on, you know, Kimmel's show or something like that. It, it just, he took him seriously and he had a little bit of fun with him. They had some nice back and forth, but it was just a good adult conversation and it's hard to come by. And I think Carson had a great way with people that way. Yeah. And I remember, well, I could. I agree because I could watch his interviews all day. Mm -hmm. What a huge deal it was when he retired. Oh, yeah. As it truly was the end of an era. It absolutely was. Yeah. I I think I wept a tear or two. <laughs> uh, him and, uh, I, strangely enough, Fred Rogers was mm -hmm. a huge influence on me. I always say he was my second dad. Fred just really had this way of making me feel like, and I'm sure he did for everybody, but he made me feel like he was talking right to me. And mm -hmm. he valued how I felt and what I wanted to do with my life. So I, uh, you know, I felt kind of empowered by that. And I think that a mixture of that and my dad's entrepreneurial ambitions as well, you know, he always kind of encouraged me to, you know, the ultimate goal was to work for yourself. So that was always kind of sitting in my head. And when I went to school, high school and all that, you know, my motto was always, and it still is, striving for excellence. I always strive for excellence in what I do. And I might not necessarily achieve it the first time through, but I try to give it my best. And, you know, whether I'm working for a client doing a voiceover job for them, or whether I'm working with a student trying to get them to be their best, it's something that is really important to me. And I, I, I really do celebrate their achievements as well. And, you know, when I'm working with a client, I also like to think that, you know, yes, I'm doing a job for them. And yes, from a just to be selfish perspective, it's valuable to me to have the project come out sounding great. But I also feel like one thing that a lot of voice actors will dismiss is the fact that when you're doing a project for a client, even if it's just a one-off job, that you are a temporary employee of that company. Mm -hmm. And it behooves you to make the company sound as great as it can sound and to feel like you're vested in it and that you're proud of it. And if you go in with that mindset, I really do think it can make all the difference. I do want to highlight some of the companies you've worked for. You've represented General Electric, Nissan, 
Pfizer, Cisco Systems, Jim Beam, and locally known companies too, uh, Lutron, Sands Casino, Crayola, Just Born, Quality Confections, mm-hmm. DeSales University, Josh Early Candies, Olympus. I mean, it's a very long list. So congratulations. No, on thanks. That. It's uh, every one of them. I've got a, a really nice memory of them. And uh, I really do enjoy what I do for a living. And every job is special to me. So great work the, if you can get it. Right. <laughs> I also love the fact that you have done voiceover work on channels like the History Channel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True TV, yep. American Heroes Channel, HLN. Those are some of the biggest cable. Yeah, it's I've been I've been very fortunate. Like I said, you know, thanks to the guy upstairs. I've been very blessed in a lot of ways. And sometimes I I have to think about that. You know, you you're looking at that list and rattling these things off and I have to think back and say, "Wow, you know, I it's kind of like George Bailey. I I have had a wonderful life, haven't I?" You know? <laughs> um I've been very fortunate. I'm very grateful that you know, there've been many times in the past where I've said to my wife, you know, we're taking this, this great leap of faith in, you know, me working for myself, running my own business. And, you know, because I, I too, like a lot of people out there, I had this idea of, you know, earning a paycheck and getting that steady salary and all that sort of thing. And so to walk away from that was risky. I have always said that, you know, if it wasn't going to pan out, then that was going to be a sign to me that, you know, okay, you gave it a shot, you did your best, and I guess now you got to go back to whatever it is that you think you need to go back to. But, you know, here we are, like I said, pushing 15 years now. It just seems to, well, I don't want to be arrogant, but I'll say it has grown. And uh, I've been very happy that I've been able to do what I do. And I think it's also been a real pleasure for me to be home with my children, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that a lot of people these days well, maybe the pandemic has changed that opinion with a lot of folks, but nonetheless, you know, they're always here. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed being there. I mean, uh, my son is 13 now. I've pretty much been there his entire life, which has just been wonderful. Yeah. Just wonderful. And I never in a million years would have dreamed that I could have had that that luxury to do that. And, you know, I'm hoping that in the long run, he'll look back at that and not say, gosh, I I wish he wasn't around so much or something like that. But I hope it has been good for him, too, as much as it's been for me. And you're still singing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, these days I sing with the Lehigh Valley Italian American Band. And we don't just do Italian songs, <laughs> but I do get to do my share of Frank Sinatra type stuff. But, you know, I've, I've ventured into the world of uh, Barry Manilow and some other stuff like that. But I have a lot of fun with them. They are wonderfully gifted musicians. Personally, I think they're among the best in the Valley. Most of the members are either full-time musicians or they're music instructors in some way or another. So music is their life. Yeah, they've been around since, I guess, the early 80s. They're a derivative band from Charlie Perillo's band from uh, way back, uh, Three Rivers Band, I think it was called back then. Great musicians, great to work with, very welcoming to me when I first came on board. So I do that. I also sing I Cantor at my church, and that's been very rewarding for me too. It was something I think I was uh, putting off for a long time, finally realized, you know what, I want to start doing that. And mm-hmm. my, my wife's been doing it for a long time, so it just kind of made sense for us both to start doing it. Yeah, I did my share of classical performances and whatnot. When I was working in New York, I had access to 
singing at Carnegie Hall and Avery Fisher Hall and Lincoln Center and all that. But honestly, these days I kind of feel like, eh, I've been there, I've done that. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that's fun. And the Italian band definitely gives me that opportunity. So, in fact, we've got all sorts of Christmas and holiday performances that we're going to be doing coming up, you know, so it's been fun. Great. Well, we'll have to, I'll have to, do they have a website? Uh, we or? do. It uh, probably needs to be redone. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in fact, I don't know when this will air, but we're, we we have done and I hope we'll continue to do performances in Easton's circle, their, oh, okay. their little Christmas village that they've got there. We've done all sorts of things in Bethlehem during the uh, Chris Kindlemarkt and whatnot. So yeah, we, we, we get around during the holiday season too and have some fun doing that. One other thing I, I wanted to ask you is, you know, care of your voice. Like, mm. do you follow any particular regimen? Uh, yeah, I don't speak to anybody until 7 p.m. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, because I've got two kids in the house and my job doesn't really require me to leave the house that much. You'd think that, you know, they, it would counter impact each other because the kids will bring the germs in from school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely something that I think any singer or vocal performer deals with. I myself have actually dealt with issues with gluten, believe it or not. I never thought that I'd be mm. having to deal with that, but I found that uh, it was causing all sorts of phlegmy issues in my throat. And I went to the doctor and he said, I think you need to try gluten-free. And I said, really? Okay, uh, we'll give it a try. And within, I think, about a week or two, suddenly the problem went away. And I said, oh, great. Now I got to not be able to eat all this stuff that I like for the rest of my life. Thank you. But at least I can do what I do professionally and be comfortable and happy with it. But yeah, I got to be mindful of not getting sick and, you know, just trying to stay in as good health. And I tell people, you know, get the rest that you need, eat the right foods, all that kind of stuff. So I got to, you know, I I follow my own advice as best I can. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure that there isn't much of a market for a, a voice that sounds all stuffy. Yeah, or... all phlegmy. Oh, you know, unless you're doing like <laughs> NyQuil commercials or something like that. You know, oh, I'm feeling terrible. Ugh. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want everybody to check out your website. It's brianasatwood.com. And you do have a recording of some of your impressions on there. I do. You can yeah. listen to. Uh, very impressive. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoy enjoy listening to that and you also have other demos and a full list of services that, that you have available yeah plethora I, I you know it's a bit of a jack of all trades but in one industry yeah no i i kind of realized from the beginning that i was versatile in that respect so i figured well why not just kind of lay it all out there and again i've been very fortunate and i've gotten a lot of work in all sorts of different industries doing this kind of work so yeah, it's all there. There's all sorts of stuff there. And uh, if you need some time to amuse yourself audibly, then uh, check it out. And if you, and, you know, if anyone is looking to, if I can throw a plug in, if you don't Absolutely. mind, uh, if anyone's interested in, I've always, maybe you've secretly harbored a desire your whole life to want to be a voiceover actor. There are many people who teach it. And I encourage people to check out as many as you can, but I'm one of them. I've got a proprietary course that I've come up with, and I think it works. It seems to work. I've got a number of students that have gone through the process, and they have had success with it. So, uh, you know, I can't guarantee anything. It is acting, after all. 
Right. Um, but at the same token, I enjoy working with students and I, uh, I like to think they like working with me too. I would, I would also think that it would benefit anybody who does public speaking. Oh, sure. Just to. Yep. I've actually worked with some students. That's precisely why they work with me. I've had everything from, uh, church pastors mm -hmm. to, uh, people who, you know, you know, budding politicians and things of that nature who come to me because they, they want to have a better sense of how to speak more confidently and comfortably on a microphone or just in front of groups. And that's certainly part of what I teach. Right. Yeah. Confidence is mm -hmm. half the battle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Yeah. It's been pleasure. a pleasure and really enjoy your work. We'll thank be you. listening for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. We've been recording No Rain Dates since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.